What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to the listeners of the Victor Davis Hansen Show. Victor is a commentator and analyst of current political affairs and military affairs. He's also trained as a classicist and even more so a philologist or more specifically a, a philologist and has written much on both the ancient and modern worlds. So for everybody who's a new listener out there, that's uh, Victor's background in a nutshell. And he is also the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. This is our Friday News Roundup, and we've got a lot of things on the agenda, lots of testimony going on in the Congress, and we'll get to that right after these messages. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah. It's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000 or... Visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Welcome back. I would like to remind everybody they can find Victor and his work at Victor Hansen. Dot com That's H-A-N-S-O-N. And it's called The Blade of Perseus. And you can come join us for $5 a month or $50 a year and get the VDH Ultra material, which is extensive and available only at the website. So please come join us. You can also just join with a free subscription. And there's lots of free uh, information on the website from his writings 
for American Greatness and the podcast as well. So we welcome everybody. Well, Victor, I know that I start with positive um, news each time, and I would like to say that, um, have you heard of this organization? I'm sure you have, but um, the Moms for Liberty, they had a Philadelphia conference. I was yes. impressed. Yes. By- they're, often, they're often maligned. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I I was really impressed by their lineup. They had DeSantis talking, Haley, and even Trump was coming to give a talk. So they what is, have what is, a lot what is of e- what wait, what does even even Trump mean? <laughs> that, that it was impressive they got a former president. Yes, absolutely. And okay. and they're training moms to um, become advocates for their children's education and to yeah, they, they started uh as an anti-identity politics group. So their main mission, as I understood it, was against, you know, identity, bias, affirmative action, LGBTQ, chauvinism. And then, of course, because they got to be pretty powerful, they were liable to this. What do you do when you have a, a conservative group? You always have to do what they're doing with the new movie, you know. Yeah, Sound of Freedom. I yes. think it is Sounds of Freedom. So you say the magic QAnon. Yes. <laughs> and, then when you, and then when you say that, all this January 6th, QAnon. So they, that's what they always allege that the Moms for Liberty are. Yeah, a word that almost everybody is like, what does that mean, QAnon? Yes. Well, our hats off to the co-founders, Tiffany Justice and Tina uh, Deskovich. I hope I hope I got her name right. And the second interesting and good thing is Dylan Mulvaney left the United States. (laughs) Uh, Well, I, I think he also decided he's now heterosexual. Oh, wow. That's nice. So he's so, da- dating women, which would mean that if he considers himself a trans woman, that he is a lesbian. I guess. But yes, he is in some sense a heterosexual. I don't understand that. Once you transition, what term you use when you are in, interested in the opposite biological sex of the one that you were born with? Yeah, but and then they would have like, to be. They would have to be interested in dating somebody who was of their same sex, but really, actually, the opposite sex. I can't figure that one out. You know, the people he dates. I don't think they can either. He's an arsonist, though, isn't he? What he do? Well, he came in. He got his little moment, five minutes of fame. He did that giggling, narcissistic, self-infatuated, fixated on himself commercial that had nothing to do with why anybody would want to buy a Bud Light. It was all about him. And the virtue signaling performance art of Anheuser-Busch to the gay, trans, left-wing community. And then Mm. he cost them billions of dollars and destroyed the brand. Costco is selling it for the price of water now. I think a dollar a can. And then he left. (laughs) He He lit the match and he burned down Budweiser. And he's off playing the victim that I was run out of the United States by death threats. And making a caricature of women on top of it, so he's done a lot of That's damage. That's another thing. To I know this idea that you you got you get out in the public square and you say things, and then people threaten you, and I get them all the time. It's no big deal. I mean, that's it's sort of like going in the arena and getting hit in the face. That's what boxing's about. If you say things, 
that are controversial and almost anything is today in the world of social people are going to write you know you have to take it as fun that's why we have the angry readers you know we have yeah. one coming up it's really funny i mean it's just all capital letters exclamation points four letter words scatology it's got every imaginable as i said earlier angry reader point given to it and <laughs> you get you know you get people that bug you and talk about you or you know, I get tired of this little phrase I see. I used to read your books and now I picked it up and threw it against the wall. I've heard that about five times. So what? Uh, yeah, I know. It's a free country. Burn them for all I care. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's, you've got to. So when he says that he's being hounded or there was, a, I won't mention a name. There was always a guy at the National Review that said, I'm being hounded by people because and you. it's almost as if I'm on the cutting edge and I'm so courageous. No, you know what's courageous? I tell you what's courageous is going into Fallujah with the Marines. I had a student, Alex Martin, and a bunch of students at the Naval. Those people were courageous that went into that hellhole. Places yeah. like that are hit or Haditha or uh, that's courageous. Or guys that I see in rural Fresno County that get on a 70 horsepower tractor with no cab and they go out there and 110, and they disc all day. That's courageous. Mm. Or a guy who's on his back at a uh, auto service thing, and he's on his back on a rack working on an engine for nine hours a day for 16 bucks an hour, 20 bucks an hour. That's courageous, not yeah. what we're doing. It's not no. courageous. No. I mean, I, well, it's important, but we're not heroes like those guys are. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's then turn to the news of the of this week and look at Ray's Christopher Ray's testimony to the House Ways and Means Committee who's testifying on the FBI political bias and in investigations and of course trying to deny it. And I was wondering what you made of the hand um what you make of the handling of the hunter hunters laptop and all the well, lying, he's got a bad hand perjury. yeah he took over after james comey what leaked a private conversation with the president of the united states probably was illegal should have been classified and then he lied or pled amnesia 245 times on her so they got rid of him and then they put in andrew mccabe who was conflicted because his wife was running for the state office and legislature in Virginia, while the Clinton consortium uh, were what they were giving him money and and he was going why his wife was getting money from Clinton relay Terry McAuliffe's pack or whatever it was. Then Andrew McCabe was supposed to be a disinterested investigator of Hillary's emails. That was a yeah. joke. So then yeah. he lied for on four occasions, three times under oath. So he was disgraced. And then Christopher Ray was supposed to come up and clean it up. Did he really address that they had lied to a FISA court and said that the Steele dossier was reliable? No. Did they really worry about Kevin Kleinsmith being convicted of a felony for doctoring a court document? No. Did they, did Christopher Ray get really worried they were paying $3 million to the FBI, FBI to Twitter people to suppress information harmful apparently to the Biden administration? Did they care that the FBI had Hunter's laptop for a year, knew it was authentic, even though 51 quote unquote intelligence authorities were swearing otherwise. Did they come out and say, wait a minute? Hey, you 50 people, we have the laptop. 
don't do that. It's authentic. No, they didn't do that. They turned into a personal retrievals service for the wayward Biden family members. Lose mm-hmm. a diary that says you showered with your dad who's the president. The FBI will shake down James O'Keefe and find get to the bottom of it. Lose a gun that was falsely registered. Maybe they can work with the Secret Service and find that revolver if it's Hunter's. Hunter lost it. What? One, two, three. We'll find him. Don't worry. That's what the FBI had be had descended into. Yes. And so now and- they don't they don't. I mean, did anybody really think that the Secret Service or the FBI was going to find who left the cocaine bag? No, they're not going to do that. They've been told by <laughs> whistleblowers that they've got. 17 phone calls, two of which are Joe Biden is on. Let's find out if that's true. That's an impeachable offense. $10 million. They've got people swore that they gave $10 million. They've got all these Chinese connected companies and they can't produce documents or they lie about it. So Merrick Garland came in and he basically told the FBI. I mean, the subtext was. Those guys screwed me over. I was going to be a Supreme Court judge. So Biden picked me to get back at them. And one of the ways I'm going to get back at them, the way they treated me, I'm going to weaponize you guys. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to what? I want you to go to school board meetings. I want you to monitor Catholic services that are conducted in Latin. I want you to go after anti-LGBTQ, supposedly. And if there's violence given right to life centers, just ignore it, but go after any purported uh, protests, et cetera, uh, abortions. That's what they do. That's what does the FBI the- does. And then this Ray gets up there with a straight face and says, that wasn't my, that wasn't, that wasn't on my watch. That wasn't on my watch. Well, Okay, some of it was, but we'll we'll agree that you're only half lying. So would you please tell me how you're addressing everything that Robert Mueller and James Comey and Andrew McCabe did? Can you tell me who you fired? What did you do? I mean, James Baker was your legal counsel and he went to Twitter for eight million dollars a year. What? There's 11 of your former colleagues are working for the Twitter 1.0. For why were they rewarded for that revolving door? Because they were what? Suppressing information? So, I mean, that's what they do. It has to be, to save the FBI, it has to be recalibrated. And that means, I think it means they have to get that office out of Washington. And they've got to take major divisions and farm them out to the department, some to the Department of Treasury, some Homeland Security, some Department of Justice. But there's too much power and too few hands, too centrally located, too near the White House. Okay, but um, I was wondering, given all that and the way you address it is sort of like we all know this is going on. And it. so what is what are your thoughts on or how do you assess the GOP's questioning of Ray? And can they do anything different from what they're doing? No, because. You know what they do. Every single answer is a variation of, uh, we can't discuss this. It's currently under FBI investigation. Uh, We can't discuss So Those documents are of a confidential nature. And that's it. So what can they do constitutionally? They can do one thing. If they keep doing it, they can uh, either do one of two things. That's all they can do. They can, if... James Comey on 245 occasions said he couldn't remember, and they had got a good lawyer to go back through there like a criminal 
a prosecutor, and they had found that he'd said something that contradicted a sworn fact or he had made earlier or, or some data, they could have they could have issued a criminal referral. Yeah. I don't think they would have indicted him. And the second thing they could do was they could say, you can talk like that all you want, but we're not funding your new FBI headquarters. I'm sorry. Just yeah. not going to be built. You can just crowd in where you are. There's nothing wrong with the J. Edgar Hoover building. The problem is you. You're too big. You're too powerful. Just shrink down so you can fit in the existing building. And what they always do, though, they say, oh, if you do that, you know, criminals are going to do this. I mean, they don't have a very good record to tell you. The Sarnoff brothers, they were tipped off by the Russians, of all people, that these people should never have been led in the United States. They were tipped off by the San Bernardino terrorists. There's a whole history of people who have tipped them off about very dangerous people. And yeah. there's, a, there's a something... You know, when Christopher Ray was asked about the January 6th FBI, he really didn't answer it. He said he wasn't aware there wasn't many or he couldn't just, you know, he said there was a New York Times Pulitzer Prize winning a a reporter who was there on January 6th. And he gave a James O'Keefe ambush interview. He was ambushed in, in a bar and he said, you know, it was kind of a joke. There was more FBI informants around. He recognized them all. Everybody knew there were. Yeah. And, so they don't want to come clean about that. I don't think it's, you know, the end of the world that there were FBI informants on January 6th, but they at least should be honest about it. Yeah, exactly. They, they have an arrogance. Of, it's an institutional arrogance about them. They just don't want to. They don't get it that they work for the American people. Yeah. And they're bullies when they, you know, that poor guy was out in front of an abortion clinic and he they pushed his son and he tried to push back. And then the next thing you know, that the FBI and SWAT style, you know, appeared at his raided. home. Yeah, they raided his house. And, and they remember the way they did the Mar-a-Lago raid or they want to do a performance art raid with James O'Keefe to get him in his underwear. They try to humiliate people. And that's part of the, you know, the perp walk, the SWAT team. And how did all CNN and all, all these people show up at that uh Roger Stone's residence, they knew the FBI was going to stage a raid because they tipped off the media. Yeah. That's what they do. They don't, they're not ethical anymore. And the worst thing was when they had that steel dossier, which they paid for in part, he was a contractor. And they were working basically with the DNC and the Hillary people because they were, high, they were paying Christopher Steele as well. And they knew that thing was fraudulent. Because there were people at the time who expressed that in writing, that it was not reliable. And they offered a million-dollar bonus if he could prove anything. He couldn't do it. And yeah. that should have told them that it was bogus. And what did they do? They sent that to FISA judges, either on the idea that the FISA judges were stupid or they were compromised. But the FISA judges took that information that the FBI knew was unreliable, and they issued warrants about surveilling American citizens and there's no consequences yeah. for it. There should be. Yeah. You know, I... Ray knows he's going to be fired. If he knows, he knows that the first thing any Republican president will do is fire him. And he knows the second thing that they'll do is they will have some type of special select committee to investigate the FBI. And he won't be in a position to refuse a congressional subpoena. Nor will all, then they'll subpoena. If they get the House and Senate, it will be like the church committee. You know what I mean? They will go after yes. them. 
Yes. So he knows that. So I, I think he's a very worried guy because right now his whole career, his reputation hinges on Joe Biden and Merrick Garland retaining power. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take a break and then come back and talk about the uh, um, select the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Have you heard of cancer fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens to your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Glad to have you back. Um, So, Victor, we've got another investigation that, well, it's concluded now. And so they've come out with their report. And there are some new interesting things. I know that we've all kind of understood that they've, they lied to us, I don't have any other term for us, about a lab or, or I mean, about a natural origin with the Fauci administration. But this report has some emails in it that, you know, it, it, they're kind of revealing because one of them um, acknowledges that um, if they had allowed it to be a lab origin, that the whole thing would have been, and the words were, quote, and and these are not my words, but shit show if they had, um, you know, uh, I don't know, I want to say copped to the idea of a lab origin. So they stuck with the natural origin story. And that was a 2020, March 2020 um, email. Um, yeah, even the redacted, process. even the redacted trove of those Francis Collins, uh, Fauci and others that were on those email chains, even the redacted forms show you pretty early that within 90 days of the suspicion that the coronavirus was in the United States and was spreading, there was an an, almost a panic on the part of U.S. health officials that somehow the Wuhan viral lab was involved. Somehow it, it was a gain in function or related type of engineered human engineered virus 
and that the United States had issued money or sent money to that lab for that specific sort of research, albeit channeled through a third party, Echo Health, Peter Dasek, a crony of people in high echelons of the health establishment and the government. And they they understood that. And they understood very quickly. There were people who said, this looks bad, or I'm afraid to say this, if you read those emails. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I was talking to a scholar this week at the Hoover Institution, and we were talking, and we just said, if you just if you just cleanse your mind of all of the left-right conundrum and all of the controversies and just look at it on the facts, you're left with a very scary idea. You're left with people in the United States government gave approximately $600,000 and hid the source of that in a sense because it was illegal to conduct gain-of-function so they did two things. They routed it through a private individual's nonprofit and it to send to the biology lab. And uh, that was one thing they did. And the second thing they did is they gave expertise, machinery, I think, other accoutrements that allowed that research to take place because they believed it was important, even though it was the position of the United States government, that it was too dangerous in a cost-benefit analysis for any perceived benefit that it would give us. And so then the Chinese People's Liberation Army that was in control of the lab was obviously attuned to what they were doing, and apparently this thing escaped. And they were probably looking for some type of vaccination against it. It There was a series, from what we understand, there were other gain-of-function vira, and maybe a couple of them were much more lethal or more potent, or maybe they are today. But at some point, if you think about it and cleanse your mind of all prejudices, certain people in the United States government had a hand in the creation of the coronavirus. And one million Americans died. And yeah. I'm not blaming in uh, Dr. Fauci or Collins, but I go to sleep at night thinking, what if Anthony Fauci had said the following? That type of research, to me, looks too close to gain of function. For me, that is now prohibited. And there's a reason why it is prohibited. And even though I disagree with that reason, I'm not going to circumvent the law. So we're not giving any money to that lab, nor are we going to allow U.S. researchers to go over there and advise them or uh, give instrumentation or appurtenances that would further that research. We're just not going to do it. Did they do that? No. And so you tell me what the culpability is. Yeah. And that's why that's why Dr. Fauci was on TV 24 seven and he had his bobble dolls and he had all of his uh, idolization and his, you know, he became a popular cult hero. And he labored at that because he understood the more layers of publicity and notoriety that he could add to his what vulnerable or susceptible. Suspicious persona, the more he would be exempt. But the fact of the matter is, 
when he went before Congress and said that there was no gain of function research, Rand Paul just shredded him. Yeah, you know, know. he knows what happened. He knows what happened. Yeah, and a absolutely. lot of people died. I mean, this is a lot of people died, and there were you know as there was a hundred. Uh, what was was seventy eighty percent of Americans got it. So you're talking about 260, 270 million Americans, 10% of them, 27 million still have it, long COVID. Mm. And so at some point, somebody is culpable for that because it didn't come from nature as they told us it did. Well, there was no, nobody believes in a pangolin anymore. I know they have these reports and stuff, but no serious person believes that a pangolin or a bat transmitted this virus. There's never been one case no. of a dead pangolin or a dead bat with the coronavirus prior to the first known human infection. It just didn't happen. Yet he still says that, uh, Fauci. And then, every, and then he modifies it and says, well, uh, maybe it was, it, they, it, it started in nature, then they took it into the lab to study it, then it escaped. But he always tries to finagle and nuance because he's, he's a deer in the headlights. But, uh, you know, he knows it, what his legacy is going to be. His legacy yeah. is going to be he subsidized the engineering of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and hasn't evidence come out recently that the first three people, I think it was, that got the virus came out of that lab? Yeah, they did. They, yeah. They OK. Did. I thought they, they had that evidence. So even John, even liberal John Stewart, remember that kind of funny little interview he yeah. did? And, he, yes. and I think Colbert was making fun. He said, wait a minute. Patient zero, <laughs> right next to state four, level four biology lab in Wuhan, controlled by the Communist Party. <laughs> Come on now, we don't need a bat to explain this. We don't need a pangolin. Come on, look at it. And yes, it was, that's I. You know, it was so funny. I was going back, and in March and April, I wrote some columns about the likelihood because there were people saying that with expertise. It wasn't me just. Yes. Yeah. And I got I got so much criticism. I got things from like the Stanford alumni, a letter to me about weighing in. I got people at Stanford, you're out of your lane, you, you know, and then there would be letters. I get letters with people with their initials after PhD, MD, da, 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 da. You are out, you know, you, how dare yeah. you suggest this? It's a medical fact that I have studied the DNA strand, I have the genome, and this is impossible. This could have been fabricated. They all knew it was. Yeah. One of the bravest guys was Stephen Quay. I mean, we had him on the show, but yeah. he, nobody's refuted him. He just laid it out. And they ruined a lot of people's careers. They really did. That were Nicholas Wade. You remember the New York Times uh, science writer? Yes. The British fellow, man of the left, very full of integrity. And he wrote, didn't say it was from the lab. He just gave you all the scenarios and let you pick <laughs> And yeah. by the end of the story, it was pretty. It was pretty clear where yeah. it came from. The Speaking only thing of, we don't know whether uh, it was a bioweapon or not. I don't know whether it was or not. Uh, but there was something well, fishy about it. Yeah, definitely. But speaking of logic, it seems to me the Chinese seriously lack it, and maybe they don't care because they're making a gain of function virus, which means they don't, once they put it out there, they don't know which specific direction it's going to take, nor even if they are. Wait, making wait, 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 wait. There is no offense, Sammy. There's a fallacy in your logic. 
Wait, can I finish and then you can tell me the fallacy? So even if you do have an anecdote for it for your people, you don't really know, given whatever direction it does take in its gaining function, that that antidote or that serum is going to help protect your own people. I mean, that's just really, to me, you know, even if they're doing that. Okay, go ahead. But why would you, now we're in the field, everybody's listening, so we're not Dr. Sammy and Dr. Victor. We're, okay. <laughs> we're, we're informed citizens, I think, that we're trying to just have an intelligent conversation. So please don't email me and say, how dare you without an MD speculate. But there is evidence in popular literature, at least, with a lot of suggestions that they were interested in gain-of-function viruses from bats, maybe pangolins, to increase their infectiousness, and in some cases, their morbidity or even lethality. And this wasn't the only one they had looked at. Yes. And co-committant with that, they were looking at, supposedly, how do you justify that research? They justified the research for the purposes of humanity to make vaccines, right? That's what Anthony Fauci said. It's important to make these gain-of-function viruses so we can make vaccines. Well, given the logic of the communist mind, they obviously were working at the same time on gain-of-functions as they were vaccines. Mm -hmm. They didn't. I don't think they they deliberately, when you say release it, I don't think they deliberately released it. No, I I don't. I think they were perfecting it, and they had a lot of different examples but they weren't going to release it if they were going to release it until they had decided that we had SARS-1 and that was a dangerous respiratory virus. So we want everybody to be vaccinated. And they were vaccinating people. They were going to vaccinate people and then maybe it might leak out. But no, yeah. the communists were never going to endanger their own people unless you're really Machiavellian and saying, well, they have too many older people and they engineered a virus, but I don't think they did that to no. kill off their own older people. I but think there was any some, virus will, yeah, will kill I, off older people. I mean, yes, I think the point was that they were experimenting with vaccines and more lethal viruses at the same time. And yes, I, I understand happened, that. Some, something broke down. The audacity of, I mean, you don't have to go all the way back to Charles Darwin, but he does say nature has a multiplicity of variations. So even if you set up your gain of function virus and you, let's say you released it, I'm just doing a hypothetical here. You really don't know in the multiplicity of variations, which direction it's going to take. So your hopes of having a, a vaccination a, for it is this wasn't a little a bit vi- crazy. This wasn't, but this wasn't a natural virus. We, we had Stephen Quay who talked about the millions of possible variations on the sequence. Yeah. And to get exactly... In every category of infectiousness or morbidity, the more lethal or the more severe one that was beyond the range of the hypothetical, it couldn't have happened. Yeah. So what they were doing, the cleavage site, whatever you call it, at each stage of this engineering, they erred or preferred whatever term on, on the one that would make the virus more infectious Yes. what was found in nature because that was the purpose of it. Yeah. And so... They knew yeah. what they were doing. And yes, I know they did. I, 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 you know, I, I know the flu kills a lot of people, but 
in my hometown, there were, which is mostly Hispanic, almost any Hispanic male that was over 55 that had some diabetes issues or weight problems, either got either died or got severely ill or is still ill. It mm-hmm. was just devastating on that community. Yeah. Because uh, those were comorbidities. And that's, I'd never seen anything like that. You know, swine flu, we had swine flu, we had avian flu, we had all sorts of flus, West Nile virus in this area, but never one that just swept through the community yeah. and did such damage to pre-selected individuals. Yeah. You know, and I've had malaria, I've had amoebic dysentery, I've had, you name it, being in Egypt, the Middle East, I have never had something that made me for 14 months have zero energy. And it's not my, you know, it's not psychological. It's just, it's this weird taste. Have you ever heard of a thing that takes away people's taste and smell? Maybe other than the flu for a week or two? Or attacks neural swelling with your eyes and ears in some cases, or gives people rapid heartbeat when they get up out of a chair, or neuropathies. All of these things were, I think, a degree of either viruses, the spike protein that was gravitating to areas of the body that excited an extreme immune response in susceptible individuals, or the vaccine. The vaccine, yeah. I mean, this wasn't really a vaccine. It was sort of genetic engineering. It was creating not a weakened replica of the virus, but a portion of the virus, the spike protein, and then making them in enormous numbers as as irritants. And they didn't even perform. I mean, they saved a lot of lives. I don't want to be so unfair to the vaccine, but it didn't fulfill the mission of giving protection about being infected or being infectious as as promised. Yes. So it didn't really, the demonization that they did to people who didn't get vaccinated, I'm speaking as someone that did get vaccinated, I don't think was worth the cost. And then to lie Mm. and say that natural immunity was of inferior value or are of marginal value when people who actually got the whole viral sequence yeah. and then made an antibody. So natural immunity was as good or better in some cases, depending on the individual. So Yeah, yeah. Well, since we're on to this and China itself, I was wondering just, um, you know, sort of as a digression a little bit, uh, what did you think of Janet Yellen's um, visit to China? She's speaking of a doll, a, a dashboard doll that bobs up and down. She seemed to do that a lot with the Chinese um, yeah, that, hosts. That, that you... came with Obama. You remember he bowed to the Saudi uh Saudi Crown Prince, Prince he, yeah. he bowed to the Japanese, uh, not the president, but the Japanese emperor. He bowed to him. And it's not a good idea for an American that represents a constitutional republic to bow to other leaders, mm-hmm. especially autocratic leaders such as the Chinese. So Yellen did that. And yeah, way beyond the polite why, level. Why are we she was bowing three or four times to him. Yeah. So why does any American, why do we, why does Blinken and why does Sullivan and why does Yellen, why do they all, why did the Biden, why do they all go to China? Yes. Why don't the Chinese come here? I mean, they have 380,000 students here, so they're capable of finding America. Why do we have to go over there? And why do we go over there I mean, I mean, why do we go over there when they sent a balloon and we lied about it on their behalf? 
I mean, yeah. it was sent here to spy. It hovered over bases. It took pictures. It relayed them. And it went across the continent. And they had a virus that killed a million people. And they will not, to this day, be honest about it and open the lab and say, here's the data. You figure it out. They won't do that. Said they lie. And they buzz our planes in the South China Seas. They play chicken with our ships. They threaten Taiwan periodically. So where do we get this idea that just because a bunch of corporate grandees are making a fortune there that we're an ally of China? And the Biden, as we know from these FBI documents and from what we're hearing from the House Oversight Committee and other committees, the Biden family is compromised by China. And why why do we take Bill Gates when he announced that China was doing a great job about um, COVID quarantine and suppression of the virus? They weren't. They were a police state that even their draconian measures didn't work. But why do we do this with China? They cheat on patents. They cheat on copyrights. They dump current. They dump product to get market share. They manipulate the currency. They have a police state that exploits the Uyghurs. They harvest organs. They're not a nice group of people under that government. And yet mm-hmm. we keep finding ways of bowing to them and allowing them to get away. And here's John Kerry about we're going to work with China on climate change. What, what does that mean? We haven't <laughs> built a coal plant since 2012. We need cheap energy. We got the third largest coal reserves, I think, in the world. We're exporting it to China. We're not building coal here. They're building two two a week. And so my point is that if you really are worried about climate change, Mr. Kerry, go over there and talk to them. Tell them, mm-hmm. stop that. But don't yeah. yell at us and say, mm-hmm. you know, we've got to stop natural gas uh, cooktops. Compared to the Chinese coal emissions, it's nothing. And it's the same thing. He, the, the, I don't understand this mind. You remember the Iran deal? Kerry was always going over and telling them, "You've got, we're going to give you this, and we're going to give you this this withheld money years ago, and we've got billions for you, and and we're we're, we're going to announce when we're going to inspect the nuclear facilities. We'll give you twenty four hours." It was always concession, concession, concession. Same thing he does with China: concession, concession, concession. Same thing he did after he inherited that mess from Hillary and the red lines in Syria. With bringing this, this, the Russians in, remember they went into Syria, suddenly they're back in the Middle East. Kerry's uh, working with the Russians to ensure us there's no W concession, concession, concession. That's what they do. They always do yeah. that. Yeah, I don't absolutely. know if it's because they have no confidence in America or no empathy for it. Or that they think pray, that, afraid of people or they're gonna, they think their magnanimity is going to return. Yes, I think that... Uh, of yours, which you often say is the right one. They think this is, we're being magnanimous. And so it's going to be returned at some point, even if it's not now, right? It'll be returned, but it will be returned with spite and insolence and revenge. Yeah. Yeah, I think the people get insulted. They think, oh, look at those Americans. They come over here and they give us all these, pat us on the head and say, keep burning that coal and we're going to restrict those yokels in East Palestine. That's but they don't respect that. Mm, they think no. what a bunch of stupid idiots they are to go be tougher on their own people. It's like, remember I told you that Fang Fang actually came up to my office? Yes. And that was years ago. And she came up with her. I think I've told the audience that. 
I wrote a lot of critical things. She, this is a person from the Chinese consulate. Well, I said, okay, I'll talk to whoever it was. And like a nanosecond later, she was up in my office. She was already on campus. And then fortunately I had the door open. I had a couple of people there that we were in. And, but she said something I'll never forget. She, she did the Valley Girl, right? I went to mm -hmm. Cal State, you know. She said she went to Cal State. I, I don't know, it was Hayward or something. And, hey, man, you know, let's talk turkey. <laughs> <laughs> but she didn't do that until the end. At first, it was, this is fang fang. Uh, you know, she had the the troubled English accent. Yes, of and course. And then when <laughs> I just laughed at it, then she went into, I'm a more American than you and Valley Girl. Yeah. But she said something that was very interesting. She said she couldn't figure out why Obama allowed China to interfere in its airspace and its naval space, right? Mm -hmm. that, in other words, not I shouldn't say Obama's naval. Why did uh, China go into South Korean airspace and Japanese air and sea space and near American bases without being told not to or without planes being scrambled. And I said, I don't know. Da, 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 da. We were just trying to talk adversarially. And she said something I'll never forget. She said, every leader, man, every leader has one concern, his own people. So why does your leader doesn't care about your people? We want to know why he doesn't care about your people. We wouldn't do that. <laughs> that was a good question, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's like, and then she said, you know, one mile, she said, one mile, you let one mile, you go two miles. You let two miles, you go three miles. You let three miles, you go to four miles. So they stop you at four. You start the sequence over, you go six. And then they stop you. And she, <laughs> she that's, it was, she had a good point, though, that every yeah. leader's responsibility, first and foremost, is the protection and security of his own people. Or yeah. her own people, and we don't do that. And they were we don't dumbfounded why we don't. Yeah. Well, Victor, let's go ahead and take our second break and um, come back to talk about Biden's visit to Britain. Stay with us, and we'll be right back. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. We're back, and I would like to remind everybody that Victor can be found on social media at, at VD Hansen is his Twitter handle, and Hansen's Morning Cup is his Facebook handle, and then Victor Hansen, Victor Davis Hansen Fan Club is not affiliated with us, but they have lots of 
great information and they go out and find old things too, as well as the new things. So it's a good fan club to be on. So Victor, um, Biden went to Britain and apparently, according to the papers, offended Charles, I think he's Charles III, so King Charles, um, by breaching protocol. So he was uh, very good about that. And they had climate talks. I want to read to you something from The Telegraph, which is the conservative newspaper in Britain. I've never heard um, anything quite so cruel. Wait, and I'm wait, only gonna, was, that, I'm gonna, was, that, was that written by Niall Gardner? I think that's the guy. Uh, yeah, I, I've uh, met Niall. He's a very bright guy. Yeah, he's a, he's a he's he's an effective polemicist, and he's of course pro-British. He's British, but he's also very very bright. And yeah, so, this and is, and he's on. He's unafraid. So yeah, he says here, no president in modern American history has done more to undermine the partnership with the UK. His meaning Joe Biden's shameless knifing of the Defense Secretary Ben Wallace's candidacy to be the next NATO Secretary General was classic ruthlessness from Mr. Biden, who can barely disguise his sheer hatred of. Britain, Brexit, and British history. He has built a well-earned reputation as one of the most crude, narcissistic, and rude politicians of our time. He has amply conveyed this approach in his dealings with Britain, bullying of the British government successively over Northern Ireland protocol, sinking a trade deal with the UK after several rounds of negotiations by the Trump administration, and dot, 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 that article goes on and on and he they, he is just brutal um and his get, yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't understand the biden this uh the left does that a lot with britain you know fdr did that with churchill yeah. at um uh, at uh yalta fdr before they he said let me talk to to uh, Uncle Joe, he they they hate he hates Britain. He hates your guts. He said that to Winston Churchill. Wow. He said that to head of a government who was the only major belligerent in World War II on either the Allied side or the Axis that went to war for the, a reason other than either attacking someone or being attacked by them. Britain went to war for the sovereignty of Poland, and no one had done that, and nobody else did that. Except Britain, and Britain was the only country. Remember that from September second of nineteen thirty-nine. I guess this is September second of nineteen forty-five. It was the only country that was there on the first day of World War II and on the last day. We weren't. The Russians weren't. Germans weren't. Japan wasn't. Italy. They were. And so they have a certain. This is all besides our heritage. I know Joe Biden always brags about his Irish roots. I'm part Irish. I had a grandmother who was Irish, as well as being Swedish. But I don't understand that. I really don't. I, maybe it's the new multiculturalism. But we we had a revolution that was not as violent in part because we were rebelling against the British. You know what I'm saying? Yes. If we were rebelling against the Germans, we wouldn't be here. Yes. Just maybe even the Spanish or the French. But we were rebelling against a parliamentary monarchy, constitutional monarchy that had a parliament. And it had a, a, a tradition of enlightenment that was unmatched in Europe. And much of what we owe this country, we owe to Britain. And then when you look at our partnership in World War I and World War II, 
even when we humiliate them gratuitously like Suez, uh, that didn't reflect well on us. And what I'm trying to get at is, yes, the British are eccentric. Yes, they have a monarchy. Yes, they have a sense of lost grandeur. But they're our friends, and they're always there when we need them. And they're good people. It's a wonderful country. It's got a, it's, it's something that every president should cherish. And this idea that we snub them or we make fun of it doesn't make any sense. No. The Bidens do that. I don't, I don't understand. And Brexit is an internal British matter. They don't come over here and tell us how to vote. And, you know, or, I, I was cured of this Anglophobia. I never really, because I was, I grew up on a rural farm. I never met anybody who was British, right? Yes. There was, there was a friend I had whose father was a B-17 pilot, and he had married someone who was British. So when we went over to his house, she had a British accent. She's probably about 50 at the time. This is like 1969. And I, I, I didn't know what it was. I mean, I... And then when I was in classics, that had been a British domain, Oxford, Cambridge, Regis Professor of Greek, et cetera. That was a pinnacle of world classical studies. And there were no jobs in Britain, and America was still booming at that time. So every university had British academics, right? And they, yeah. were, they didn't know how to teach Americans, and they were very different. And we all thought they were arrogant, right? And they would say things like, you know, Mr. Smith, would you decline Luo, Luo in 360 forms for the class? And they were grammarians, and they knew it, and they rubbed everybody. Okay. And I, when I was 18 or 19, I hated British. I thought, all oh, these academics. And then there was these American copycats, right? So you'd see students that are 18 or 19 in classics, and they wanted to be considered, what, a real scholar at 19 or 20? So they would wear... British clothes, you know what I mean? Kind of dress mm -hmm. up with a British and they would wear, they would act, they would actually get an affected, there was a, I won't mention people's names are probably still alive, but when I got to Stanford at 21, there was a guy there that I thought he was British. He sounded just like it. And I said, where's he from? They said, he's from <laughs> Texas. So, but my point is there was a really good professor there. And um, I said, he was from the British lower classes. Mark Edwards. He was a he was a brilliant guy. Uh, I don't mean in sheer scholarship, but just in personal relationships. He he tried to he liked America. He did, he really resented the British class system, and he came up to. Uh, I didn't know him very well. He was a, I was only a, a graduate student. He came up and said, "I got to talk to you, Mister Hansen." And I said, "He said you made fun of a couple of British things the other day in class." I said, "Yeah," and he said, "That that's really beneath you." I said, why? And he said, you know, did you have family that fought in the war? I said, yes. He said, do you have any idea what the Psalm did to British families? And then, do you have any idea what Passion Day? And I had been reading. I said, no, I didn't. And, you know, and he gave me a lecture. And then he said, you know, British people like you and don't judge Britain by some academics. And even if you don't like this academic or this professor who you think is, and they were kind of haughty, you know, can't you learn something from them? Can't you learn something about inscriptions? Can't you learn something about comparative philology? Can't you understand this person when he's trying to explain why Latin is different than Greek? So why would you try to not absorb that just because of your tribal chauvinism or prejudice? And it was really shook me up. I got so angry. And I remember I was 21. My parents uh, were, they were visiting the Bay Area and they stopped in to see me in my East Palo Alto apartment. I said that. My mom said, 
Well, that sounds like pretty good advice. <laughs> <laughs> it was good advice. Yes. yes. And after that moment, at that, it was like a lightning bolt hit my head. And after that, I, I developed a lot of good friendships with professors that I thought I would have thought otherwise were haughty. And yeah. I didn't really care what their mannerisms were or their little quips like, you know, yeah. we were in World War. We were in World War Two, well before you came in. True. We, yeah. They were. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, during the Gulf War, I said something about British taking credit, you know, and somebody corrected me. And I said, that was a really stupid thing I said. So, yeah, I mean, uh, he's got a point. Britain is should be our partner. And there should be no daylight between us and the British. Doesn't mean yes. obsequious, but they do a lot of good in the world. They always mm. have done a lot more good than they have done bad. And that's not true of most nations. Yeah. And we have a special, I think, obligation to support Britain and to the degree that they ask for protection to help them. Mm. I know in the, in the Falklands War under the cover we we had our you know we have a large latino population we had new world considerations but we did help britain uh, yeah. in the falcons and, and that was a, a wise thing to do that reagan did mm. and i think Hag and other people suggested he not do that yeah so i i very sympathetic to what niall gardner said and i would have said the same thing if trump had done that yeah, you want to keep them on your side because they're wicked smart, all the way from that article to the uh, decoding of the Enigma machine in World Hitler, War II, you Hitler, know? Like. <laughs> Hitler, Hitler, you know, in his table talk, he expressed uh, unlimited admiration for the British, but not in the sense that he liked their hum, human, humanizing effect on civilization, but they were devilishly crafty and he, thought, <laughs> and he thought they were formidable enemies so every time you know he came out with a snorkel they came out with an improved sonar or a new type of depth charge or a new astock or something they were always or every time he thought he had a Fokwif 190 they came out with a new, new version of the merlin engine and spitfire or they put it into a mustang or when he had it you know yeah. Every new weapon, the they British seemed to, he had a panther and tiger tank, and the British figured out how to put 17-pounder on a Sherman chassis and blow them up. They were very, very clever people. Yeah, you and want to keep them on your side, whatever like their Israelis. eccentricities are. Huh? If I were to say, <laughs> what would be U.S. foreign policy on craftiness? <laughs> I would have four allies. And the number one would be the British because they're ingenious. I mean, they started the Industrial Revolution and they always come up with good ideas. And we we, we snubbed them on D-Day when they had all of Hobart's funnies. You know, they had all these different types of uh, adopted Sherman tanks that would sweep the, the beach of mines or alligators that would go over ravines. And, and we, di we didn't fully utilize it. And they always came up with a solution. So we want to keep them, and the Israelis are ingenious. Yes. <laughs> they, they are really, really smart people, and we want to keep them on our side. And I know that people make fun of the French. Remember when Foreign Minister Villapon, he was ranting and raving against the Bush administration going into Iraq, and he sits, and then they started taking an interest of him, and he had written a book. I read it in French. It was called cry of the gargoyle. It was about 
crazy Napoleon to the skies, as I remember. And <laughs> But he said something on TV I'll never forget. And they said, how do you think that French will do it? And so, well, we're going to, we, we, we all will do what we always do. We, we, we rely on Gallic ingenuity. <laughs> <laughs> but he had a point. I mean, they, in World War, I mean, they created the tank along with the British. They made really good tanks. The British started it and they improved on it. And they even... Yeah. Even when they were overwhelmed and, you know, Mark Bloch's uh, and strange, strange, defeat. strange defeat, they were they, they were creating fighters and char tanks that were just as good as the Germans. And they were very brilliant. They're very ingenious people. And when you, you know, you can make fun of all the things that are wrong with France, but you go there and you see them and what they've created in that city and French cities. It's yeah. it, they're, they're, And then, of course, I don't mean crafty in the sense of genius, although they are, but the Germans are crafty, crafty menship. Yeah. They have precision uh, awesome technology. Awesome tanks. Yes. I mean, you look yes. at their, what they produce, Bosch dishwashers or BMWs or Mercedes, or they're, they're just craftsmen and they're very good at what they do and they're disciplined. And you put them all together and any president goes in the White House should say, you know what? There's not going to be any smart aleck diplomat who's got some theory we're going to alienate the French or the Germans or the British. Or the Israelis. Or the Israelis. Yeah. And he's going to have to say, I know that they get on our nerves. I know they think that Europe is the center of the universe. I know they think that we're hicks. I know that they think we're money-crazed capitalist cowboys. I don't care. They're yeah. in our interest, and they are an integral part of a humane civilization. And I would include the Canadians and the Australians as well. And that yeah. should be our foreign policy. And, and, you know, even the Japanese, they, they've done wonders after the war. Yeah, but that's true. I, yeah. I don't understand why you'd even hesitate. No. To, I don't know why the ankle body is what I guess I'm saying. Yeah, that's very strange. You know, the other strange thing is that John Kerry keeps popping up everywhere every once in a while. He's kind of like a homeless person that comes out of his tent and wants to make a bunch of noise and then goes back into his tent for a while. But he showed up there on the whole climate change initiative. And apparently Biden has made him the special presidential envoy for um, climate change. And yeah, so well, he's been doing that for years. He has to have a job he's a busybody they have a word in classical greek for it called a polypragmon <laughs> it's it's a term of insult in aristophanic comedy a polypragmon is a guy who sits around the agora they yeah. also have a word that translates into an agora lounger and he just sits there <laughs> and his eyes bolt around and any little business he runs over and gets in the middle of it and he tries to do this and he screws kind of like joe biden when that famous quote from Barack Obama, don't underestimate the ability to Joe for Joe to F it up. <laughs> That's John Kerry. Remember, he was the guy who delivered this horrible Iran deal by giving all these concessions. And then when Trump threw it out, he snuck over to like a polypragmon to Paris and he, oh, I'm not violating the logo, any act or anything. But he was meeting with the foreign minister or at least the former foreign minister of Iran to mm -hmm. kind of, and then he's now he's, slithered around and he's in China, but at whatever manifestation he has of the moment, the theme and the character is always constant. It's John Kerry, speaks French, aristocrat, married a multimillionaire the first time, 
aristocrat born into aristocracy without sufficient money to satisfy his material appetites, but <laughs> married a multimillionaire and then divorced her and then moved on up to a multi-billionaire widow, heir to the Heinz ketchup fortune, and has his private jet. And when asked why he has such a carbon footprint, he says, I've got to I've got to spew carbon and get quickly to save people from spewing carbon. That was his argument. And that's mm -hmm. what he always does. He always cares. He has two traits. One is the process, not the result is what's important. And two, it's always concession, concession, concession. The United States is going to, I don't know why he does that. It has some something to do with the aristocracy, the bi-coastal elites, despising of middle America or what America is or America should always do this, or America owes this, or America must do this. America must give concessions to Iran. If you're going to inspect their nuclear site, don't you've got to tell them in advance. Or China, go ahead and build coal plants, and you know we understand, and we won't build any at all, and we'll try to get you to make. I don't know. Please give us forty a year rather than fifty-two or something. And yeah. that, that's how he thinks, and he never. What the guy needs to do is go to Elko, Nevada, or I don't know, El Paso, Texas, or Bakersfield, and just be around people. And remember when he was running in 2004, you know, he's, he told that group, you better stay in college or they're going to send you to Iraq. And that, that was when these people were dying in Iraq. And anybody yeah. who went over there, and I did go over there in 2006 and seven, could see that those guys in Iraq had very high IQs. I'm not just talking about the colonels and lieutenant colonels and majors, but some of these kids that were captains and sergeants and privates. I rode in a Blackhawk with a guy with a 50 caliber machine gun right outside, sitting there smiling, and he could tell you every target to shoot at, not to shoot at. Yeah. So they were smart people. And the idea that your only dummies went over there is insulting. Yes. And he always did that. He always he always said something. Remember he said about George Bush, he had caught him on a hot. I can't believe I'm losing to this guy. And then he <laughs> then they leaked his SAT scores. And I think yeah. W had a higher SAT score than <laughs> So oh. you know, George Bush uh was actually very he was he was he had an aptitude and intellect. He did. The truth is a hard master. That's more for sure. so than Carrie did. Yeah. And so, anyway, well, oh, well, well. That, that's um, the end of our show, Victor. I have one comment I would like to read okay. to you. Um, it's it's um, kind of a critique of starting with optimism. He says, "I wanted to let Victor know that I, for one, do not need any forced optimism. I've been listening to VDH for Good. years." Lately, I've been hearing about listeners emailing about the lack of optimism in Victor's podcast. Good. We're all blessed to have our minds blown on a weekly basis from Victor's insights, and any optimism one seeks should be sourced from within. Okay, I want you to cut to print that out. I want it to cut, <laughs> and I want it on your refrigerator, and you read it every <laughs> single day. I'm glad. I knew people were out there that agree with my Eeyore take on what's going on right now, but yes. I'm glad to be reaffirmed for a change. Yes. I am optimistic. I had a bad cold coming back from the, and guess what? I remember that a good friend of mine told me that you take two things. I know I'm dispensing medical advice. You take French pine bark and you take quercetin 
at double the dose, and I did. And yeah. I had a fever and a messy cold, and 24 hours I was on the way to where I am now. So yeah. I'm very upbeat about that. Because yeah. I know that if you said that to an MD, they'd say, <laughs> integrative medicine, that's just quackery. Maybe, but yeah. maybe it's just power of thought. But that's yeah. a good thing. And then I drove all the way from Palo Alto this morning. I left at 4.45 and drove across California. And I only hit four detours. One oh, no. Yes. And I was almost home. I was trying to get home for an interview. And I'm finally into the valley and I'm cross 41. And I'm just, I, Mountain View is closed down, of course, because of Stonehenge, the big, you know, high yes. speed rail for the last four years yes. that destroyed our avenue. And so yeah. I thought, you know what? I'll take my custom Nebraska. They would never shut that down. And of course, it was under construction. <laughs> so I had to back up, go back all the way over to Floral Avenue. And they always get you in California, but I did yeah. make it in four hours. I have one thing just to say. I, I wonder that he, well, I, I appreciate the comment, but at the same time, I'm thinking, but every time Victor starts with something optimistic, he always weaves it into pessimism anyway. So. You sound like my mother. You my serve mother. two masters there. You sound like my mother. My mother would, my father would give me an annual critique when I started to be a professor. They were so worried that I was such a slob. So my mother <laughs> said, you will go twice as far in this world if you just smile. Mm. You have a you have a good smile. Don't hide it. I know you don't think you do, but you do. Smile and you win over people, but don't frown. You always frown when you were a little baby. Your baby pictures are full of frowns. I, said, I was worried about the status of the world when I was one, maybe. So and then <laughs> my father go. said to me, no matter what you do, no matter what you aspire to, you're only going to get halfway there if you continue to dress so casually. <laughs> so as you told Jack, he gave you angel flight. <laughs> yes. And he was the one that gave me the love boat uh wardrobe yeah but anyway he did he was all right and i try to do i try to remember both of those smile more and try to dress uh present i do try to do that now but i always remember that all right well victor thank you very much okay. for all your wisdom this thank is you, sammy this is sammy wink and victor davis hansen and we're signing off <laughs>